Wednesday, March 28, 2018. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Chet, it is 2018 opening day eve for the Philadelphia Phillies. The Sixers have made the playoffs. The Flyers are fighting for a spot. Villanova is one win away from a national championship. And the Eagles are Super Bowl 52 champions. Does it get any better than this? Well, it really doesn't, Bill. I mean, it's an exciting time in the Philly sports scene, and we're loving it. And one other great thing this week, by the way, unlike our last two Philly Press Box radio shows, March 7th and 21st, I don't have to worry about a possible power outage amid a nor'easter. So hopefully <laughs> all of that is finally behind us. Yeah, I saw what, uh, 70 degrees. Is that today or tomorrow up there? Uh, close to 60 tomorrow and low 60s on Friday. So, yeah, we'll take uh, that. Okay. Well, we've hit mid-80s down here in the Sunshine State, so come on back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, hey, we've got a full show again tonight uh, with Philly's play-by-play broadcaster, Tom McCarthy, joining us, along with HockeyBuzz.com Flyers insider, Bill Meltzer. Yeah, we do, and there's going to be plenty of baseball and hockey talk, obviously, but we also have to get to the Sixers, Villanova, and maybe even a little certain Super Bowl championship football team, too. Yeah, well, we're never going to forget that. It took us uh, 52 years to get there, and we're going to talk about them every chance we get. But, hey, with that, let's talk about those Phillies Jets. Some interesting roster moves over the weekend, most notably the signing of that Scott Kingry to a long-term deal. They released Cameron Ruff. Maybe that wasn't that big of a surprise, but sending uh, Zach Eflin to Lehigh Valley, even though he was a little nicked up, was a surprise to me. You know, I didn't watch the pitchers closely enough this spring to say I was surprised by the Eflin demotion, but with Jared Eikhoff starting the season on the disabled list, you might have thought that would have opened things up for Eflin, but it wasn't to be. But, hey, as you and I both know, Eflin will almost certainly be up at some point unless our number three through five starters exceed our expectations. And i got to tell you, I'll be really surprised if those guys don't hit several bumps in the road this season. Oh, you know they will. And you know there's going to be guys going on a disabled list all the time. It, you know, you can't have enough pitching. And I guess the, the plan right now is we're going to open with 13 pitchers and 12 position players uh, on that 25-man roster tomorrow in Atlanta. And, uh, by the way, that Mike Furman will be in the crowd in Atlanta. He lives right across the street from the stadium. So he's got his ticket, and he will be at opening day. Oh, nice. And it's a nice new ballpark they have down there, too, from uh, everybody who's been there. Um, you remember the good old days when teams would have, like, 15 or 16 position players and just nine or ten pitchers? As you mentioned, the Phillies have 13 pitchers on the opening day roster. That's crazy. Yeah, and, and you know, Jake Arrieta, we're not sure uh, exactly when he's going to fall in. They're trying to come up with a date. But uh, maybe a little setback yesterday. They didn't pitch as well as they were expected. But uh, they're not going to need him for a little while anyway. I think they're still targeting Sunday, April 8th against the Marlins, unless that's changed. So, uh, yeah, he certainly needs another outing because he didn't look that great yesterday. And and looking at that pitching, Chet, uh, do you have somebody at this point that you really want to watch? Obviously, you know, we think Nola's going to be really good and Arietta's going to be really good, but who's your guy? Is it Velasquez? Is it Jake Thompson? I know you always liked him. Um, 
Who who you see it? Mark Leiter? Well, Leiter's on the DL. Eikhoff's on the DL. Uh, reliever Tommy Hunter's on the DL. I'll tell you, last year, Vince Velasquez, everybody was excited about him. They thought maybe he was really going to shine. And he turned out not being so great and having some injury problems. This year, Velasquez is kind of flying under the radar. Now, I still don't think he's going to be a long-time starting pitcher because it just takes him too many pitches to get through five or six innings. But, you know, maybe he will be a pleasant surprise. So I'm going to keep my eye on him, and hopefully he'll give us a couple of those great outings like he did, you know, that first go-round a couple of years back for Double V. So we'll see. And, you know, we're going to talk to Tom McCarthy in just a moment. And I actually talked to him a couple of hours ago, and I asked Tom that same question about those number three through five guys. And you might be intrigued by what he has to say about it. Interesting. Well, here's something I'm going to throw at you that I'm really intrigued about. It comes back to that Cameron Rupp. And, you know, Rupp is a solid veteran player. He's not a great player by any means, but he's a veteran and knows how to call a game. You know, they, they've decided they're going to go with Alfaro and they're going to go with Knapp. And, and that's okay, two young guys. But let me tell you, Chet, including Cameron Rupp and any catcher in spring training that batted more than 10 times, the combined batting average of all five catchers was 191. That's not hmm. good. No, it's not. And, you know, I, I don't have too many doubts about Alfaro hitting. I think the bigger concern with him, as Larry Anderson and some others have said when we've talked to them, is, you know, how he's going to call the game with the pitchers and how he's going to be defensively because he's still got a lot of work to do there. So that's a lot on his plate as a young guy making his first, you know, start of the season in the big leagues. Uh, we'll see if he can handle it. And the guy behind him, Andrew Knapp, doesn't have all that much more experience himself. So that's going to be something to watch, along with uh, J.P. Crawford at shortstop and the always enigmatic Odubel Herrera out in center field. A lot of good storylines, not to mention the dynamic manager, Gabe Kapler. So plenty to watch for this season with Phillies baseball. Well, uh, yeah, and I agree with all that, but I think you missed the point on one one you didn't throw out there that is the key to – winning and losing uh, to me. And that's that Mikel Franco. Um, you know, he hit 211 in spring. He didn't hit last year. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a point that's got to be made here. And I wouldn't be surprised if Franco gets moved. I'm going to throw – I'm going to lob that out there to you. Well, I think the first month or two of the season is crucial for him because if he's not cutting it, they have that Scott Kingry who's, you know, able to play pretty much every position – including third base. So Franco knows that it's time for him to put up or shut up. And, you know, we're hearing that Carlos Santana has been a good influence on him in a lot of ways. Let's hope that that's at the plate as well, because, I mean, we're getting tired of waiting for the Michael Franco that we thought was going to be, you know, maybe a star a few years ago. So this is the year for him, hopefully. Yeah, and and Chet, we're going to get to our predictions a little bit later, and I know you wrote an article in uh, phillypressboxradio.com, which I purposely have not read, so I don't know, you told me your prediction was in there, Uh, I don't know what that number is, uh, and as I said, I purposely didn't read it, but why do I think somewhere in that article there's probably a, a shot taken at that Odumo Herrera? (laughs) <laughs> uh, not really. I, I, I may have mentioned him, but I didn't say too much about him. I was talking more about the, the newcomers in the article, and it does end with my official prediction, and uh, you'll see what I say, and then I'm going to find out what you say, and that's going to happen in about probably 13 minutes from now, so stay tuned. It is. 
Well, hey, you mentioned that you got to talk with T-Mac, Tom McCarthy, just a couple hours ago as they were getting ready to go to Atlanta, I guess. And uh, that's why we couldn't get uh, Tom on live. He's obviously a busy man tonight getting ready for the opener. Uh, So how did the the chat go, your visit go with T-Mac? We covered all the bases. This is four years in a row now that he's talked with us right before the start of the season. And I'll tell you, I got a little pumped talking to T-Mac because – He's more optimistic than I would have guessed. I mean, he's not just towing the company line. I think he does feel pretty good about this team. Uh, You know, we feel good about the one through eight guys as well, even though we have some concerns about a couple of them. So, you know, hopefully Tom will be right, and they will give us some pleasant surprises. So you want to hear what Tom has to say? Let's do it. Here we go. It's become an annual tradition here on Philly Press Box Radio, talking Phillies baseball just ahead of the start of the season with the television voice of the Phils, Tom McCarthy. How are you, Tom? Yeah, I'm doing good, buddy. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Hey, T-Mac, the Phils weren't a great team last year. They won just 66 games, but there was some definite improvement over the second half with the arrival of Nick Williams, Reese Hoskins, and others, and they've been joined by several more new faces and a dynamic new manager. So what's the mood here as the 2018 season begins? Honestly, Chad, it's different. I mean, it's it's much different than it's been in years past. I, I think only time will tell how good a different it is. But it, it's definitely, if you think back a year ago, there's not a whole lot that's the same. Freddie Galvis is gone. Cameron Rupp is gone. Uh, Tommy Joseph is gone. Most of the pitching staff, which was part of last year, is now a little older. But many of those pieces aren't here anymore. Jeremy Hellickson's not here anymore. Clay Buckholz is not here anymore. Uh, it's different. Uh, but I think we have to wait and see if it's a good different. I think it's going to be. I really do. But I just think it's going to take some time. I, I'm, I'm, I, I feel energized by the energy of the young players. I think that they really have everything. We're, we're trending upward, and I think that's a really good thing. Well, speaking of those young players, in a somewhat surprising move, the Phils last Sunday announced not only that Scott Kingry would be going north with the team, but that he'd been signed yeah. to a six-year contract that could stretch to nine years, all for a guy who has yet to bat in a regular season big league game. Now, I heard Ben Davis say on WIP the other day that Kingry does everything right. Does that pretty much sum this kid up? No question about it. I, I mean, you know, there's, there's baseball players that play major league baseball and then there's ball players that understand every aspect of it and what we've noticed in a very short period of time and my son saw him last year in double a and said the same thing is that he has it he understands what it is uh when it comes to 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 playing the game the right way i I remember an interview that his coach did in uh, from college his, his coach in arizona who realized that kevin newman his teammate and shortstop at Arizona was going to be a first round pick. When the Phillies picked Kingry in the second round, I remember him saying they may have gotten the better player and I love them both, but they may have gotten the better player. And I, I think that's a pretty cool thing. We understand Kingry's going to wear number four. I was really hoping he would have stuck with number 80, but that's just me. <laughs> hey, yeah. I'm, well, I mean, I actually thought he would wear number 25 to be honest with you. I really did. I thought that would be his number just because that was his number in college. Uh, okay. uh, I think he's, he's excited. I know about getting out here and I think we're all excited just to see what he does and what he offers as the season moves on. Another of the new faces, of course, is a guy who won the Cy Young Award in 2015 and a World Series ring a year later with the Cubs. What does the signing of Jake Arrieta mean in terms of what management believes about how close the Phils are to contending? Well, I think it means stability in a lot of ways, uh, to be honest with you. I think that's the big thing is it means stability. I think it, 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 it stabilizes the front part of the rotation. But I also think it, it, it sends a signal to everybody else in baseball 
listen, we're not fooling around anymore. I mean, we, we are here to try to put something special together. That's what our goal is. And I think that's a huge deal for the Phillies and their fans to see something like that. Because for, for the last several years, we've talked about just how young this team is and how they're relying on the youth of this team and, and youth this and youth that. Well, they are relying on it. But it, they're starting to put together these pieces that will make them a better team. And I think that is a huge deal. After what we saw in 170 at-bats a year ago, I can't wait to watch Reese Hoskins play a full season. I believe the over-under is 28.5 home runs, and I'm taking the over. Hoskins just turned 25 last week and certainly looks to be the real deal. Well, I think the one thing that you take from him too, Chet, in a lot of ways, he's a lot like Henry when it comes to baseball. He understands the game, understands the nuances of the game. And I think if his end of spring is any indication, then you probably will see a fairly strong season. I, I, I would say that I would take the over as far as the home runs go because I think he, they're going to come in spurts with him. Uh, I just love everything about the kid. I mean, he is just a special kid, special in the way that he does interviews. He's special in the way where he interacts with the fans. He's special in the, in the way where he interacts with the kids. You know, all of that, I think, sets him aside from, from a lot of other people. Now, Hoskins is going to play left field because Carlos Santana will get the bulk of the playing time at first base. What do you expect from him, and how much of a positive influence has he been for Michael Franco? I think he's been positive for all the Latin players uh, because he, he has this sort of leadership ability and potential that they don't have because they're, so, they're young. But I do think that he's helped Michael realize some things about himself and about what kind of a player he can be. And I think that is huge for Michael because I think this is a big year. I really do. I think this is a big year for him to succeed uh, because there's obviously people that are knocking on the door, including Kingry, that could play third base. And if he doesn't have a good good year, and let's say Cesar Hernandez does, well, then you keep Cesar at second, you put Kingry at third. Uh, so I think this is a big year, and I think he is sensing that. I think he, he's trimmer. He's playing a better third base also. And I think in a lot of ways, that, that will go a long way because they need that bat in the middle of the lineup. Even if he bats six, they're going to need that bat. Of course, it's important to be strong up the middle defensively, and the Phils are going to rely on young Jorge Alfaro to do most of the catching, rookie J.P. Crawford at shortstop, and the always entertaining Odubel Herrera out in center. Yeah. Are Alfaro and Crawford up to the task? Yes, I think they are. And I think that the part of it is they can both be hidden a little bit because some of these other younger players have put together pretty good runs recently, I mean, over the last couple of years. So they can hide them somewhat uh, and let them just evolve. And I, I think you'll see Crawford, if he's not batting second, he's going to bat He's going to bat eighth. I think it's fine. I think you'll see Alfaro bat sixth or seventh. I think that's fine. But I do think they're up to it. I mean, I still there's still some questions about Jorge's defense. But I think there, it's time to give him a chance to become a good defensive player. Sometimes you just have to, you know, you have to give a guy a chance and roll the dice. And in this case, that's what they're going to have to do. I want to get back to the pitching. The staff could end up being pretty good. We'll see. Aaron Nola had a solid 2017. Jake Arrieta, who we mentioned, will hopefully be a stud still. He makes his Phil's debut on April 8th. But the question marks come after that with the names like Velasquez, Ikoff, who's hurt right now, Pavetta, and Lively. Which of those guys are you feeling the best about? Uh, honestly, it sounds strange, but I'm feeling the best about Pavetta because of the way he's thrown. And I say that sounds strange because I thought he was one of the more erratic ones last year with great ability. You know, I, I still think that Vince has to prove some things. I think he had a very good end to spring training. But I, I feel like Pavetta is turning the corner. And I think that's huge considering he is the one guy that can consistently throw 97 miles an hour. Now, Velasquez can throw it, 
but he doesn't throw it consistently. Pavetta, to me, throws it consistently. So I'm excited about him. I think he's grown up a little bit, and I think that's a big deal. He's matured a little bit on the field, and I think it, it has a chance to be a decent year for him. Well, we hope for the best from the starters. The bullpen looks to be a strength with the addition of Tommy Hunter and the return of Pat Neshek. Hector Neris, the closer again. Adam Morgan uh, had a good year last year. What do you think? Well, I think what you said, you know, I think that there's there's a chance for this to be an excellent bullpen with a lot of depth. I love Hobie Milner and Adam Morgan from the left side. I don't necessarily know if Hector Neris is going to be the consistent closer or if it'll be sort of closer by committee type of thing. I think he'll start out as a closer, but I, I'm, I'm wondering if somebody else is going to take some of that responsibility. You know, the Tommy Hunter in- injury, I think, is bothersome a little bit because you don't know how long he'll be out with the hamstring. But I do think that this, this bullpen has a chance, based on what they did at the end of last year, and because they added a couple of pieces, this bullpen has a chance to be very good. And, and I don't know about you, Chet, but in my feeling, you know, if you're going to win this year, you have to be able to put a bullpen together. You just have to. We alluded to Gabe Kapler earlier. We know he's got a lot of confidence. We know he's dynamic. Uh, the players seem to like him, but can he manage? I think he can. You know, I, I think there's there's one positive for Gabe as he continues to understand, you know, how to do this. Uh, you know, he's done it before. He's been a, a, a farm director, so that helps a little bit. But I think the, the big thing that's going to help him is that Robbie Thompson is the, is the bench coach. And I, I do think that that's a big deal. I think that's a big deal because of what he brings and his reputation. That's going to help. There's no question about it. So will he take lumps from time to time? Yeah, I think like any new manager he will. But I do think he can do this. I, I do think one of the things that he wants to do is make sure that there's a strong line of communication with the players. And I think he's already done that. And that to me, you know, is helpful in a lot of ways because I think he's, he's implemented some things that are different yet, but I also think he's implemented things that are, are the same, but just look a little different. So yeah, I think he can manage. I think he'll be fine. I'm not going to ask you for an official win loss prediction, but can this Phillies team contend for a wild card spot? Oh, absolutely. I think they can. And, and and believe me, I'm trying to be as realistic as possible. Do I think that they're going to win 90 games? No. I, I think that if they do that, then they've exceeded everybody's expectations. But I think they can be in this at the All-Star break. And at that point, hey, you never know. I mean, they, they could go out and get somebody that could then make them a better team. But yeah, I think they can contend for a wild card. I do think that there's certain teams in certain divisions that you know have an upper hand. I think the, the National League West is going to be excellent this year. And I think that's where the wild cards will be battled. I do think the Cardinals will be better. I think the Cubs, obviously, are the odds-on favorites to win the Central, but I think the Cardinals will be better. But, yeah, I think they can. Am I saying that they can win a division? I don't think they can right now. I think they're trending that way. But I definitively think that they can contend. One final thing, Tom. When you haven't been with the Phils in Florida this spring, you were doing lots of work on the college basketball front for Westwood One. So I have to ask you, Loyola, Chicago versus Michigan, and then Kansas versus Villanova. Who wins Saturday and who cuts down the nets Monday night? Well, I, I do think that Michigan is a better team than Loyola, but I do think that they're riding with some house money right now, which I think certainly helps them. Uh, I do think Michigan will win the game, though. I think John Beeline, and I love Porter Moser. He and I have known each other for a long time. We've been friends for a long time. I like the way he runs a practice. It's a lot like Rick, Rick Majerus used to run a practice. Yep. I do think that Michigan will win that game. The Kansas-Villanova game is intriguing to me because Amari Spellman has played so well recently, and I think that if he can continue to do that, then you might see Villanova sneak a, sneak a victory away from Kansas. I haven't looked at the line or anything like that, 
to me, on paper, Kansas would be the favorite only because of their depth and because of uh, because of Devontae Graham and people like that. But the way Jalen Brunson is playing, I think Villanova can win this game. And I think they actually can win. They can go on to the national championship. And the matchup between Villanova and Michigan, to me, is an outstanding one. And uh, it's going to lock two guys that I, I respect a whole lot as coaches. And I think Villanova could win both games this weekend. I'll be rooting for Nova. Hey, Tom McCarthy, it's always great to talk with you. Have a terrific season with the Phils, and thanks for making another visit to Philly Press Box Radio. You got it, Chet. Thanks, buddy. Hey, Chet, nice job. Uh, Thank you. Hey, it, interesting. Uh, I, I'm a little, let's start at the end there. I'm a little surprised that uh, T-Mac feels like Kansas is probably a, a favorite over Villanova. Yeah, I think Nova is favored, actually, by a few points, but uh, that should be a good game. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, I think that I feel like that's going to be a lot better game than a Michigan Loyola. But you know, Loyola, like you said, playing house money. Hey, interesting yeah, stuff about know. the Phils as well, uh, Chet. Um, I guess we have to make some predictions. I think uh, Tom's a little more excited than I am. I think. But uh, what what have you got to say for your official 2018 Fight Phils prediction? Well, you can read the article now, and you'll see exactly what I did say. And I concluded by saying they're going to be fun to watch. They're going to score a lot of runs. However, I'm still very worried about those three, four, and five pitchers. And, you know, Arietta's going to be good, but not the same guy who won the Cy Young Award a few years ago. Um, I don't know if they're going to contend. My final number is 82 wins. I'm saying 82 and 80. 82 and 80. What was last year? 66 and 90? 66 day one. Yeah, we were both uh, way off because we both thought they were going to do better than that. So 66 and 96 last year. 66 and 96. Well, I'll tell you what. Here's where I'm going to go on this. I'm not going to go anywhere near you because you're you're drinking the the Kool-Aid too already, I think. But they're just too young. Now, I certainly agree with, uh, with all the things Tom said about exciting. I think they're going to be exciting. I think J.P. Crawford's going to struggle. Uh, Scott Kingry's going to struggle. The rookies, the catchers are going to struggle. Um, Franco, as I mentioned earlier, he, he's a bit of an interesting character. Um, pitching is suspect. I, I'm going to go 76. 76 is the best I can come up with. But I do think they're going to be fun to watch. And I am excited about having all these young guys. I, I feel like we're moving forward. Uh, but, I, you know, we're not there yet. You say 76, I say 82, and I checked with our buddy Carl Henderson, and wait till you hear this. Carl is drinking the Kool-Aid for sure. He says, yeah, they still have some work to do, but the wild card winning Phillies will shock a few people, and they will go 89 and 73. Oh. Good spirit, oh. hard play. 89 wins, says Carl. Write it down. Holy cow. Carl must have got too much sun in beautiful Clearwater, or maybe uh, too much too much caffeine in the coffee over at Lenny's in the morning. Maybe that's it. But uh, hey, I, I like the optimism. We'll see what happens. Oh, I do too, and I, I certainly hope that uh, either one of you or T Mac is right. And I'm a little low, but uh, I, as I said, I, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I think they are going to be fun to watch, and I'm excited about all these kids. Yep, we're going to talk hockey in a minute, but let's first take a break and allow me to tell you about the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. We've been telling you about the Irish Rover for a full year now, believe it or not. Great dinners, steak, chicken ribs, seven or eight varieties of burgers, awesome sandwiches and wraps. 
not to mention superb gourmet wings. A new express lunch menu also. This Saturday night, the band Blind Janice is at the Rover. Of course, you can also catch NCAA Final Four action and Flyers and Sixers games on the Rover's many big TVs. Always 24 beers on tap and a great bunch of bartenders and waitstaff. The Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. And now, a couple of days after the fact, we say happy 70th birthday to Aerosmith's Stephen Tyler. Take it away, always Bill. Good. It's always good here in Aerosmith. No doubt it. Happy birthday to Stephen Tyler. And, hey, Chet, while we're talking about a couple things like that, let's throw out uh, that we're happy that our friend Robbie Ellis and her husband Rob uh, are safe and and uninjured after an accident on I-95 over the weekend. Uh, boy, that sounded a little scary. Yeah, Robbie and Bob are okay, though, and uh, that's nasty. I was in an accident myself on 95 a couple of years ago, and it is a scary thing, but like you said, hopefully uh, everything is okay. They say they are, so that's the good news. All right. All our best to Robbie and to Rob. Well, hey, Chet, the Flyers, uh, they're trying to make this playoff run really interesting. They're playing good hockey for the most part, but having trouble putting teams away, and and then there's the goaltending, and I'm not sure – as much as it's the goaltending, the defense, there's a quick hook coming from behind the bench these days. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure where this is headed. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's bring someone on with us who can sort all of it out, okay? That's right. Nobody better to talk Flyers hockey with us than Flyers Insider for HockeyBuzz.com, Bill Meltzer. Bill, welcome back. How are you guys tonight? Doing, Doing great. Hey, Bill, uh, first first thing, do you get as frustrated as Bill and me watching this Flyers team, the winning streaks, the losing streaks, the recent losses to teams like Detroit and Dallas that, frankly, aren't real good hockey teams? Do you get frustrated? It, it's a very hard hockey team to figure out. You know, the, the same team that could sweep the season series against Toronto, win three out of four against the Capitals, you know, can lose to a team like Detroit. You know, I don't, I don't include Dallas so much in there because – Dallas is at least a very good home club, and they are on paper should have been a playoff team this year. They were they were bound to beat somebody, and the Flyers were the the better team last night. It was just one of those games, you know. Kari Lettinen kind of stole it at a, at a bad time, you know, a bad time for that to happen for the Flyers. But but if you look at what's been going on in, in recent weeks, I mean, the Flyers have been finding a lot of different ways not to come away with two points from games that that were there for them to take. And you know, as you said, I mean, they're it's really it's also really hard to peg where they might finish at this point because they're they're three factoring in the tiebreakers they're they're three points out of second place two points from two points from third place but they the devils are right on their heels and the Flyers could even potentially still miss the playoffs if they continue to struggle and, and Florida Florida stays hot I mean it's uh you know yep. or it could be anywhere in the middle there it, it's really it's really very puzzling to try to figure the whole thing out for sure yeah. Now, the odds are they still will be a playoff team in the Eastern yeah. Conference. We hope that's the case anyway. Other than a few more wins, Bill, what do you want to see from this team over the final four games or whatever it is before the postseason gets underway? Well, I, I would like to see, you know, I would like to see things that have been going on all season kind of get, be, or be at least been inconsistent, be correct a little bit more. You know, um, uh, the Flyers could you know, and so many times in spe- so many times in the postseason, special teams end up deciding the outcomes. And the Flyers' penalty kill has just been not very good all season. You know, it showed some improvement, but but the last couple of games, you know, they've they've given up power play goals against again. 
you know, and, and a couple of them were really ones where they were really kind of struggled to get the puck out of the zone. They they lost key battles. I mean, that's, that's been going on all season. And then, of course, the number one thing is you want to, you want to see someone solidify the goaltending position, whether that's going to be Michael Neuberth, who's, who's back today, and he'll be starting in, in Colorado, whether that's Brian Elliott coming back, whether that's, you know, Turning back again to uh, to Morozik, although uh, you know, although I, I think that that he kind of had his had his opportunity there and didn't really run yep. with the ball, so I think I think Neuwirth is going to get the next few starts here, and then they'll they'll go from there. I mean, you never want to see a, a patchwork situation in goal, especially this time of year, but it's kind of the you know that that's the reality. That's the situation right now. Well, Bill, speaking of the goaltending uh, and the quick hook that came in, in a handful of games was. Uh, did Dave Haxall just lose confidence in, in both of those guys, or was he just trying to make something happen and spark his team? Like I say, it kind of created uh, uh, an, an unusual situation, I guess. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I think every game was kind of a, a little bit of a different situation. I don't think there's a lot of confidence in either in either goalie who's been there right now. In, in Alex Lyon's case, strictly because he's young and inexperienced, you know, and and, and um, it's hard for for a goal, you know, for an inexperienced goalie to gain a coach's trust, particularly down the stretch drive. And in Morozik's case, it's because he just flat out wasn't playing very well. You know, there, it was some of it. Some of it was on the defense, maybe even a lot of it was on, on defensive breakdowns and whatnot. But there was at least one goal in virtually every game that he should have had. You know, that would get past them. And and you can't allow you can't allow anything soft, especially this time of year. So, you know, I, I think that it that I think. In some of those games, like in the in the Pittsburgh game, I think it was more trying to change the momentum a little bit. But I but I think also at the same time, you know, if a, if a goalie has a coach's confidence as Brian Elliott did before he went down, I think he's more likely to stay with the goalie and try to have him work through it. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you never want to have a game of musical goalies. I mean, if you remember back in 2011 with Peter Laviolette flip flopping back and forth with three different goalies in the playoffs. I mean that that's the worst of all possible situations. The Flyers certainly can't afford that. Hopefully, you know, hopefully Neuberth comes back and plays well and doesn't get hurt again because Neuberth, of course, that's that's always the other side of the coin. Is besides his besides his inconsistency because he can he can at times play at a really high level. I mean, a couple of years ago in that series against Washington, he almost stole that series for the Flyers. But with Michael, you know, there there's the inconsistency and then there's the tendency to to get hurt at the most inor- inopportune times. So. You know, it, it's kind of cross your finger, you roll the dice and cross your fingers with, with Neuberth right now, I suppose. Bill, there have been a lot of positives this season, of course, uh, especially the play of some of the young guys. We had Bob Kelly on the show last week, and the Hound is a big fan of Travis Konechny. My theory is that he reminds Bob of himself a bit. But anyway, Konechny has really come on over the last month or two, has he not? Offensively, he has, yeah. I mean, ever ever since um, ever since he was put on the top line, um, I believe it was the last game before the Christmas break in, in Columbus ever since December 23rd, um, other than uh, a short time off of the top line. But, but most, most of that, most of that time he's been on the top line and, you know, he's really, he's really come on offensively. I mean, he's, he's emerged as one of the premier young offensive players in the NHL. You know, Travis still has some issues without the puck. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's easier to, uh, you know, to, to, try to harness that a little bit over time but he's still young and inexperienced but but in terms of his ability to, to make a play in terms of his moxie and ability to get under other teams skin i think when you weigh all the pros and cons there's there's a lot of positives with uh 
with Konechny, and, and I think that Nolan Patrick has really come on in the second half of the year, too. He's finally healthy. He had a, he had a concussion earlier this season. He had two surgeries over the, over the past previous year. You know, and I think I think you're seeing now why he was the second overall pick in the draft. He's played really well. Oscar Lindblom has played well. Travis Sanheim, since he's been called up from the Phantoms, has played really quite well. So, you know, a lot of those young guys are, are delivering for the team. You know, they they just need they just need to kind of put everything together at the same time. You know, the the veterans, the young guys, the um, getting getting more than one defensive pairing going at one time because you know it seems like. Like one one pairing will be going well, two are struggling or, or whatever. It's just, uh, you know, I mean, the Flyers from the middle of December until the end of February had the third best record in the NHL. That's a that's a long stretch there, but they've they've hit a rut in the stretch drive. And I mean, I, I can't overemphasize how important these next two games are in Colorado and then at home against Boston, which is always two two you know two tough matchups, particularly with the Flyers in the third game of a three and four in a back to back situation tonight. It's crucial they pick up. You know, preferably two, but at least one. Hey, Bill, obviously a big surprise has been that Sean Couturier's 31 goals. But I have to ask you, what's the bigger surprise to you? Claude Giroux's 92 points just having a fabulous season. Or Wayne Simmons with just 45 points and a minus 13? Well, uh, you know, with, with Simmons, I don't think he's really been he's been as healthy as the seasons. You know, I mean, Wayne started out in his usual kind of pace. Remember, he had a hat-trick on opening night. He had something like five goals after the first seven, eight games this season. You know, and he's always been a guy who runs a little bit hot and cold. I mean, it's been a, it's been a disappointing year for Simmons. You know, I, I, I don't think anybody was expecting Giroux necessarily to have a, a career year this year, but I, th- you know, I think that there was a good chance of there being a bounce back with him moving. You know, I, I think it's more of a surprise as, actually as to how quickly he adapted to playing a wing you know, and how, how much he connected, you know, and, and clicked chemistry-wise with, with uh, Sean Couturier. You know, I think that's been a very pleasant surprise. I, I, with Simmons, you know, it's been, it's been definitely, I think, a disappointing year. Uh, a huge surprise, just, just, just based on, you know, how much he's been banged up this season, not a, not a huge surprise, but certainly, you know, certainly the Flyers are hoping for more from him, hoping for more from, uh, you know, a guy like Jordan Wheel as well. I mean, he, he looked really good down the stretch last season, although he had a three-point game the other day against the Penguins. This hasn't been the kind of year, you know, he's expected. So, you know, there, there have been guys who they were counting on for certain numbers, you know, like Simmons approaching 30 goals and solid mid-teens from the wheel that they're not getting. So, I mean, there, you know, there, there's a number of reasons why they, the scoring has been spotty this season, too. It's, it's uh, you know, guys like um, Philpaw as well. You know, he started out well. And then he kind of hit a wall, and there hasn't been too much from him offensively in the last few months either. So, a lot of games it's kind of been the the top guys or one of the kids, or they've or they've struggled. Bill, I want to ask you about a couple of prospects. How good is Morgan Frost? He has 42 goals and 70 assists out in the OHL. And getting back to goaltending, Carter Hart is he the real deal? Is he going to be the guy two seasons from now? Well, I think both of them are really high-end prospects. You know, I watch a lot of Sioux Seminary Greyhounds hockey. They're they're the best team going in junior hockey. Um, Morgan Frost is a very very intelligent player. You know, I don't want to I don't want to put any player compa- comparisons on him, but in, but just in terms of statistical you know uh, background, you know, the year after Giroux was drafted, he had 112 points in, in a higher scoring league than Frost just did this year. Uh, Frost is a very good playmaker. 
Um, very good skater last year at the CHL Top Prospects Showcase. He, he won the best skater competitions with and without the puck. Um, very quick shot release. And again, just, just really a smart player. He led, he led all Canadian junior hockey with a plus 70 this season. Um, just a really, said really, really smart player. Um, Carter Hart, uh, and you know, he certainly looks like the, certainly looks like the real deal. You know, he, uh, he was putting up ridiculous numbers in, in the, by far the highest, the highest scoring of the junior leagues in Canada, the Western league. Um, and he was putting up numbers that the goalies are putting up, you know, maybe a, a dozen, 15 years ago when the Western league was the lowest scoring league. Um, if you compare Hart's numbers, to the other league leaders in goal, it almost looks like he's, you know, playing in a different league. There's almost like video game numbers, you know, like, yep. uh, it's almost like a 950 save percentage goals against around one, one six thereabouts. So, you know, and then, then the other day, the other day, he just had an unbelievable playoff game, you know, and now when he, when he goes up to the pro ranks, there's all obviously going to be adjustments. He's not the biggest goalie in the world. There, there are going to be ways, you know, He's going to have to adjust some of the ways he tracks pucks that are coming out from behind the net and those kind of things. But, but just in terms of his, his athleticism, his smarts, his positioning, which is way ahead of most goalies his age, he certainly has a chance to be a very good goalie in the NHL. He's going to need probably a year in the American Hockey League, but he's, he's a really solid prospect. Both, both of those guys have a chance to be very good players in the NHL, sure. Good deal, good deal. Hey, Bill, I wanted to ask you about a couple young players as well that I had on my list is here and one is not, uh, but one, can you give us an assessment of the play of that Robert Hag on defense? Seems like a guy that just comes to play hard every day and uh, is a pretty pretty tough guy. And then there's the other one is that Sam Marin. Where is he going to fit into this mix? Well, we'll start. Uh, we'll start with yeah. We'll start with Robert. And Robert's had a really good, solid NHL rookie year this year. Uh, he just got back in the lineup kind of recently. He was supposed to be out two weeks. He came. He came back uh, a week ahead of schedule, kind of struggled for a couple games. He's been sitting out the last few. Technically a healthy scratch. You know, you, you could put that in air quotes because healthy scratch this time of year only means that if they, they asked him to play, he, you know, he's well enough to put on a pair of skates and a uniform and play. He's, he's kind of banged up still. But, you know, but uh, Robert's had a really good, solid rookie season overall. Um, you know, he's uh, – he, there's a guy, you know, there's a good case study in, in player development because Robert, when he first came over from Sweden, was kind of an offensive-minded defenseman, and he had to find his identity. He had to find what worked for him. You know, and work from simplifying his game, using his size, becoming a more physical player, and uh, just, just finding a niche more as a, more as a defensive defenseman, and it's worked for him. You know, he's been – He's, you know, of course, there have been the usual rookies, rookie ups and downs, some mistakes, you know, along the way, and, you know, and that's that's only to be expected. But I think overall, he's been a very solid player for the team. Um, as for Sam Moran, it's been unfortunate for Sam because he's missed most of the season due to injuries, and he's, you know, he still is not back skating with the Phantoms yet. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be able to come back for the end of the season for the playoffs, but. Unfortunately, he's missed about 80% of the season because of injuries. But, uh, you know, he's a guy who uh, I think that a year from now, if he, if he, you know, if he recovers well, has a good summer, comes in and competes in camp, you know, there might, I think there will be another job on the blue line. And then Sanheim will be a year more experienced and, and Hag will be a year more experienced. And it's a little bit easier to break in one rookie than to try to break in multiple rookies on defense. So, you know, I think, I think Sam Moran is still very much part of the plan, but, uh, you know, again, it's been it's been a shame because because physically it's been kind of a lost year for him. 
Hey, Bill, one final question. Mike Sealski wrote a piece last week about the greatest ever Philadelphia coaches. There was just one hockey coach on the list, not surprisingly. If we are talking solely about hockey, who are the top three or four coaches in Flyers history? I guess it starts with that Freddie Shero, of course. Yeah, Fred Shero. You know, Fred Shero. If you're not just not just limiting it to the Flyers, you know, if you're naming the greatest hockey coaches of any team of all time, Fred Shero should be to me on any top ten, even top five list. So, yeah, you got to start with Freddie Shero. Um, I think second, I would put Mike Keenan. Um, even though he didn't necessarily have the longevity, but he took the he took the team, the youngest team of the NHL at that time, to uh, two Stanley Cup Finals, and he got then he took Chicago later to a Stanley Cup Final, and then of course then he won a cup with with the Rangers. So as much as players may not have liked him, you know it it, it worked. You know he, he he knew how to push push guys' buttons, and um, he was certainly certainly was you know meticulous in terms of the way he prepared a team for playing. So I would go with Keenan second. Um, and then third and fourth, um, you could make a case either for Peter Laviolette or Pat Quinn. And, I, you know, you, you, could, you could quibble back and forth which one you would put where. I would say that, uh, you know, I would say that Quinn maybe did a little bit more with a little bit less in, in that 35-game unbeaten streak in 79-80 because that was supposed to be a rebuilding year for the team. And all of a sudden they, you know, go 35 without a loss. They, they took the Islanders to, to the limit of the beginning of the – the Islanders Cup dynasty and the Flyers might might have won the cup. We all we all know about the Leon Stickle offside call. We're not gonna yep. rehash all that. But uh you know, but and then Pat Quinn went on to a very long and successful NHL career, you know, in Vancouver and Toronto and other places. And then Laviolette, uh, you know, Peter Laviolette had an outstanding winning percentage as uh as Flyers coach, at least during regular seasons and you know that, that twenty nine ten team that that came so close to winning the Stanley Cup and then upsetting the Penguins two years later. So those those would be my top four, probably with an honorable mention to Terry Murray as the fifth. Very good. Uh, well Bill, I think we've used up all your time and uh certainly appreciate you joining us. Nobody better to talk uh Irish hockey with and let's do it again during the playoffs. Always a pleasure. Looking forward to it. Thanks all Bill. Right. Thanks for that. They are mowing teams down the stretch. They're starting some national media exposure as a team nobody, at least in the East, wants to play come playoff time. Yeah, and it's well-deserved. I mean, hey, let's face it. You thought I was being overly generous in predicting a 43-win season. Here they are right at 43 with nine games still to play. They could approach 50 wins. Keep in mind they are 18-1 and at the Wells Fargo Center in calendar year 2018. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is, and, uh, you know, the other night they took a 40-win Denver team and took them to the woodshed by beating them by 27 points in the second half. Pretty tough. Yep, and we got to talk about Markel Fultz. I mean, sure. he's back. He played 14 minutes the other night, 10 points, 8 assists, 4 rebounds. He wasn't shy about shooting 13 shots in 14 minutes. Um, <laughs> he wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. I mean, after sitting out for, what, five months or whatever – I, I was impressed. What do you think? Well, I was too. Uh, but, you know, and, and I think I actually mentioned this to you on a, on a Facebook post or something we were doing, is uh, his minutes were taken from T.J. McConnell. And I'm not sure as we go to the playoffs if I want McConnell on the floor running this club or if I want Fultz. And I, I think I want McConnell. Well, I'll tell you, that's what these final nine games are about, or ten games counting the other night. And that's up to Brett Brown to decide. 
you know, McConnell's going to lose a few minutes. Um, Marco Bellinelli's probably going to lose a few minutes because they got to see if Fultz is a guy who can help them come playoff time. If it's determined over the next nine games that, you know, maybe they're better off without him for this round of the playoffs, then fine. But this is what these final couple of weeks of the season are all about, deciding which crew is going to give you the best shot at winning a playoff series or two or three. So that's going to be a big decision for Brett Brown, who plays and who plays how many minutes. Well, and you're right. And, and maybe, maybe Brown is very comfortable with McConnell and knows what he can do and, and, and doesn't feel like he needs any more minutes uh, that you could be very right on that. Uh, but seeing TJ only get 12 minutes is not, not what I want to see. Yeah, but, you know, to be honest, and I know you don't want to hear this, TJ has not played great over the past month or so. Um, I don't know what that is, but maybe that was part of the reason that Brett Brown kind of gave a little nudge to Markel Fultz over the weekend, basically saying, you know, it's time for you to make a decision. Um, Because I don't think TJ was playing great over, you know, the latter part of February into March. So there may be something to all of that. Yeah, and, and, you know, as I, I tried to follow his minutes, and I certainly didn't track it, I don't have the exact numbers, but it seems like his, his minutes were fluctuating like a lot of other guys. And in some cases, uh, you know, they can respond. And in some cases, they can't when you're not going to play a lot or play in inconsistent minutes. So, uh, you know, maybe that's McConnell's deal. But, hey, at the end of the day, it's going to come back down to that Joel Embiid and that Ben Simmons to carry this club. And, they are playing fantastic. Yeah, they are. I mean, Embiid's going to be playing close to 70 games, if not 70 or 71, if he does play every single game the rest of the way. And who would have thought that? I, I had him pegged for about 55. I think you did as well, 55, 60 maybe. So, you know, he's in bonus time right now as far as I'm concerned, and I love it. The guy is definitely an all-star, and if he stays healthy, he's going to be an all-star for years to come. Well, I, I think the the key to why the Sixers are where they are is the fact that Embiid has played all those games. With you know, if he's at fifty right now, they're certainly not at uh, what forty four wins, forty three wins. And Simmons, yeah, forty three plus whatever tonight if they beat the Knicks. Um, and Simmons has been better than I think you and I thought. He's still got to work on the outside shot, but man, that guy can handle the ball and pass. He's very good. He is very good, and JJ Redick's been solid there. They're going to they're going to be good, and I think these couple uh, pickups they made with Bellinelli and uh, Ilyasova, they're good. You know, they're good pickups. They're solid. They could go, you know, seven deep or so without any problems. We're going to talk more Sixers next week, but hey, right now, Bill, it's time to put you back on the hot seat because it is week five of season two of Random Q two. Again, if you're not aware, Random Q2 is that 10-week thingy we debuted last year. We're doing it again this winter and spring. I'm going to ask you two little questions each week. The first question, a timely sports topic. The second one, one of 10 random questions that have already been written down weeks ago about whatever. So here we go. Question one, as I mentioned to uh, Bill Meltzer, our buddy Mike Sielski wrote a great column last week about the best-ever coaches in Philly sports history. I believe he had 13 coaches and managers on the list, which was headed by legendary Philadelphia A's manager Connie Mack. He's even before your time, Bill. Now, yeah. we'll, we'll talk more about this whole list down the road, perhaps. But for now, my question for you, Mr. Furman, off the top of your head, who is the very best Philadelphia pro or college coach or manager of the past 50 years? Oh, boy. Wow. I was hung up on that thingy thing you threw out there. It, it kind of got me <laughs> off track there. 
Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, I was actually going to bring this up as a as a discussion in another show, but uh, let me think about it for just one second, and I'm going to say um, I'm going to run a couple out there. Certainly, Fred Shiro's got to be very, very close to the top of the list for what he did. Um, Charlie Manuel led us through the best era of, of Phillies baseball. Uh, we're not including Connie Mack. Um, certainly Dick Vermeil took us from nowhere to somewhere. So uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to have to just stay with Fred Sherrill, I think, as it runs through my head very very quickly. I'm going to go Fred Sherrill. Yeah, and that would have been uh, Mike Sielski's number one of the past 50 years, too, because Connie Mack was number one all-time, Fred Sherrill number two, and that Billy Cunningham number three on the Sielski list. So, uh, yeah, Billy C. is certainly a fine coach as well. But your answer, Fred Sherrill, not a bad choice. All right, for your second question this week, Bill, I need you to pick a number between one and ten, excluding the numbers one, six, eight, and nine. So anything but one, six, eight, or nine. Well, you uh, you gave me that number four for Scott Kingbury, so we're going to honor Mr. Kingbury with number four tonight. <laughs> okay. You know I'm a big TV guy, so uh, there's another TV question in here. Just like last week, this is a different one, though. When you think of 1960s sitcoms, off the top of your head, what are the first five 1960s sitcoms that come to mind? 60s? I wasn't old enough to watch sitcoms. I'm not as oh, old yes, as you. Oh, yes, you were. I know uh, how old you are. 60s. Uh, gee whiz, 60s. Um, was Happy Days in the 60s? That was in the 70s, my friend. That was in the 70s. I, I don't think I have an answer for you. Give me one. Tell me. All the family. Oh, my God. Don't, don't you watch Me TV or any of those uh, like TV land with all the old shows? All oh, right. my favorite These show the... of all time. My favorite show of all time, but I, it's not a sitcom. It's Hawaii Five O. the old ones. That would have been late show. 60s. All right, yeah. for me. 60s sitcoms, the first ones that I think of, Beverly Hillbillies, Green Acres, Petticoat Junction, Gilligan's Island, and the Andy Griffith Show. Well, you know what? I, I'm with you on those, but I didn't realize they were the 60s. I'm, um, I was just a lad. Yeah, so was I, but I spent a lot of time watching TV, so uh, <laughs> those are etched <laughs> in my mind shows. forever. When was MASH? Was MASH the 70s? MASH was the 70s, yes. Yeah, see, those are those are more my uh, my times. Mash and uh, Happy Days and all them. Although, like I said, Hawaii Five O, my favorite of all time. I still watch Emery Runs. Love them. Did not know that. Yeah. How do you how do you like the new one? Have you watched that? Oh uh, yeah, I watch it. I watch it. It's not okay. as good as old McGarrett go. and, and Bookham Dono. All right. Well, you only get a, a C or a C plus for this week because you couldn't really answer yeah, that second yeah, one. Yeah, so. you went a little past my time. I was I would have been better <laughs> off talking Connie Mack than I would have been talking about that. You'll do better All next right. week. That's right. Okay, let's talk NCAA tournaments. Notice I said tournaments. Your Penn State Nittany Lions, Chet, put on a shooting clinic last night against Mississippi State to reach the NIT finals while the Villanova Wildcats, as we said, reached the Final Four, again facing number one seed in the Kansas Jayhawks. Who you like? Wow, all of that's pretty cool. I mean, first of all, Penn State, I really thought the Nittany Lions should have gotten more consideration for the NCAA tourney, but they apparently weren't even among the first four left out of the big dance. So it's nice to see them putting on a nice show for everybody who's watching the NIT. They won it, what, nine years ago, and here they are on the verge of doing it again, perhaps. Nice to see. As for Villanova, uh, they certainly didn't play great in beating Texas Tech in the regional final last Sunday, but they didn't have to play great to beat them. They did enough to win, and now they go up against a real good Kansas Jayhawks team. So 
That is something to look forward to Saturday night. I will be sitting in front of the telly enjoying Jay Wright and company, uh, hopefully as they advance to the final. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this Villanova-Kansas game probably as much as any game in this tournament. I, I think this is this is big boys game now. You put two number ones together in the semifinals. Shame it's not the finals. Uh, this is this is big boy game. So I'm really looking forward to this. It'll all come down to Villanova. If they can hit them threes like they consistently do, they'll win. If they go cold, Kansas will blow them out of the gym. And how about that Jay Wright back in the Final Four for the second time in three years with almost an entirely different cast? I know a couple of guys were there, but in lesser roles two years ago. But, I mean, Josh Hart, Chris Jenkins, Ryan Archidiacono, uh, they're all gone. Jalen Brunson, of course, did play two years ago. He's back. But uh, good job by Jay Wright. Yeah, well, there's a lot of buzz about, you know, the Jay Wright legacy is they're, they're after the second national championship. There's a bunch of coaches that – are considered great coaches that have never won more than one. And uh, Jay is really making a name for himself here. Yeah, well, he was high up on the Sealski list that I referenced a few minutes ago. Right behind Charlie Manuel at number four was Jay Wright at number five, the best Philly coaches of all time. So there you go. Boy, Jay Wright, boy, a good coach. Boy, I tell, you, I tell you, that's a, that's a long list. And, and someone made that comment, and I, I made the comment, you might need to decide whether Jay Wright – is the best coach to ever coach in the Big Five before you start putting them against with all the others because there have been legendary coaches that have coached. Yeah, in the we're going to have to we're going to revisit this whole coaches thing when we have more time in a few weeks, I think, because this is a great topic. It is, it is. Well, hey, Chet, more great guests tonight. It's always great having both T Mac and, and Bill Melzer with us. So, who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week? Well, we're moving into April, and we'll talk about all four major sports once again, but we will talk mostly about basketball and baseball next week because we'll be joined live by two more awesome guests. We have the 76ers beat writer from Philly.com joining us for a third time, the great Keith Pompey, and then also live we're going to talk Phillies with former longtime broadcaster and newly retired Chris Wheeler, and hopefully we'll be talking about another Villanova National Championship, too. We shall see. Great, great stuff. Can't wait. You, you know, you keep surprising me, and you keep doing a great job. It, it's good stuff. And next Wednesday is the eve of the Phillies' home opener, and I will be there Thursday afternoon when the Phillies take on the Marlins. There you go. All right. Wait, Chad. Hey, one quick, quick thing. One quick thing. Oh, one quick ahead. thing before we move on. Um, I just heard Ray Dinger on WIP today talking about the Eagles, and he said he would be perfectly fine if the Birds used the final pick of the first round. That's the slot they're in because they are the Super Bowl champions, as you know. Ray would be fine if the Birds drafted that Penn State tight end, Mike Gesicki. And I have a hunch you'd be okay with that, too. Oh, uh, you know, I am. He's. Uh... You know how when we have Fran Duffy on, and we're working on that, by the way, uh, but I always have my favorite guy, and uh, I've got two this year, and I'll go ahead and say it, Kaziki is my offensive guy. I'm not going to yep. say who my defensive guy is yet, but I think Kaziki's uh, got a chance to be a star in the league. I agree. All right, carry on, Bill. All right, a couple quick signings to mention. Carl's Cards and Collectibles will be having, by the way, Chet, Super Bowl 52 champion Eagles. Just in case oh, yeah. you forgot. Chris Maragos to Camus Gragier Hill in the store this Saturday, April 7th. 1960 Eagles World Champions Pete Retzlaff and Maxie Vaughn in the store on April 14th. And Phillies 1980 World Champions Bob Walk and Ozzie Virgil Jr. on April 21st. Carl's 
all over the champions and uh, good stuff. Also, the fan cave in the Rockvale outlet in Lancaster will be having that Michael Vick in their store on April 14th. Another great sign. Very nice. Some good names right there for sure. Can't go wrong with world champions, my friend. Nope. Mr. Chesco, we're using up our time. Do you have a parting shot tonight? Well, I do. Although he played just three and a half seasons in Philadelphia, Jim Tomey remains one of the most popular Phillies of the last quarter century. And why wouldn't he be? During his time in Philly, 2003 to 05, and then again part of the 2012 season, Tomey slugged 101 home runs, including career homer number 400, and was always a classy guy with fans and the media alike. Well, the Phils inducted Tomey onto the club's wall of fame two years ago, and now with the slugger who ended his career with 612 bombs set to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in late July, the Phillies have decided they will honor him again. It'll happen before the Phillies' afternoon game against the Rockies on Thursday, June 14th. Why Thursday, June 14th? Well, that happens to be the 14th anniversary of Tommy's 400th home run, which he hit as a Philly. As the Phils said in a statement on Tuesday, Tommy had an immediate connection with our fan base and gave our franchise a renewed level of respectability. Jim's election to the Hall of Fame was always a matter of when, not if, and we are excited to be able to honor him for that historic achievement. So from me and you, Bill, I'm sure, congratulations in advance to Jim Tommy. Yep, class guy, and uh, just a shame that that log jam got created where Ryan Howard had to come up and play and it made the, the Phils have to move Tomei because it would have been fun to, to continue to watch him. Yeah, he and Howard, of course, both great sluggers, but they were both pretty much confined to playing first base, so, you know, they couldn't stay there together. That's right. Well, with that, Chet, we have reached the top of the hour again. I'd like to thank our special guest, Tom McCarthy, Bill Meltzer from HockeyBuzz.com, Irish Rover Station House, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. As you said, Chet, one year for the Irish Rover. Yes. And we appreciate it. For Jim Chet Chesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. And we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, April the 4th at 7 p.m. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Mixcloud. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Philadelphia Eagles, Super Bowl 52 champions. And go Phillies. Hi.